0: And so maybe this morning we can uh, just give a, I guess, a round of applause for your pastors, yeah. Pastor Andrew and Chantel. And guys, we love you so much. Thank you for what you're doing here in Canada. And thank you that we get to do this alongside you. And thank you that I get to speak here, the first Canadian guest speaker. It's not because there's not better Canadian speakers, I'll tell you that, uh, in fact, you're going to notice I am, I am not uh, very musical. You have a very musical pastor, but two very musical pastors. And that's awesome. And it, and it probably feels very good to sit under the ministry of such great and musical pastors. But I am like the exact opposite. I can't play a single instrument. I am like, there's like a clapping circle during like team rally. If you've never been to team rally, you need to just get here early. Get to team rally to pray over the service and whatever else. There's like this clapping circle going on and I'm like, oh man, I am so out of my league right now. I can't hold down a beat to save my life. And I'm just like, I'm just going to take a video of this moment so that people think that, oh, he's musical. He just wants that. Uh, no, that's a lie. I am not musical at all. I, uh, as Andrew was saying, I have a, a beautiful wife back in Waterloo. She's speaking at Slate Church this morning. And so I'm going to pray that God just uses her this morning. And, uh, and we have two beautiful children. Uh, one's name, the oldest is uh, Kensington. And uh, when we first bought our house, we named it Kensington's Palace. Without the, uh, without the realization, we were going to have another one. So I don't know what Theo gets, but he gets like Theo's room in Kensington's <laughs> Palace. I don't know. First one always gets more anyway. And uh, and so we got a beautiful family. We come from an awesome church, and we're so I'm just so thankful to be here. And uh, I'm getting over probably the same thing that Chantel's getting over—some sickness. Uh, my daughter, about four weeks ago, uh, we had some guests over for breakfast, and we, my, my my wife had. Uh, cook this entire uh, nice spread And it's not because I believe that women should be in the kitchen, not at all It's just, if I was in the kitchen, people would die And uh, <laughs> I'm literally The worst cook in the world And so she had cooked this like beautiful breakfast I'm holding my daughter about four weeks ago And all of a sudden projectile vomit Goes all over the kitchen And I'm just holding her And like I freeze because I have a very weak stomach Which is why I'm sharing this with you I, If I have to suffer, so do you And uh, And it's all over the kitchen. And then that just started four weeks of me being sick. And so I'm getting over it. Please forgive me if I'm a little nasally this morning. I'm really excited to be with you. And I'm going to turn uh, really quick to John chapter 14, verse 12. And it says this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Everybody say greater things. Come on, you got a little bit. I come from a church very loud. Like people literally cut me off and start preaching for me. And I'm like, all right, that was good, but now I need to get back to preaching. So let's 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 read this again. Let's try that again. All right, so we have uh, in verse 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, this is Jesus speaking, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things. Everybody say greater things. Greater things. All right, this is feeling like home. Greater things than these Because I am going to the Father. I'm so excited to preach and let's pray and we'll get right into it. Jesus, I thank you so much for what you're doing. I thank you so much for what's happening here at Serve City. God, a hundred people making decisions for you. God, we celebrate that in this place right now. God, we thank you for what we get to be a part of through Serve City and all the baptisms that are going to happen after the service. God, we pray that that would be something that sparks us, that we wouldn't look at these people and say, oh, they're just beginning their race and they're going to flame out. No. God, I pray that we would look at them and understand how we're supposed to run our race, bringing anybody that will listen into your church, into your message, into your good love. And may we take their example today as we watch them get baptized. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right, well, um, I don't know about you. I I, uh, I grew up in the church. Uh, in fact, I grew up in Coburg, Ontario. Does anybody know where Coburg, Ontario is? Yep. Anybody go uh, go to the beach in Coburg in the summer? Yes, it is like the, I don't know. We never went to the beach once when I was a kid. And then afterwards, I'm like, mom, dad, I didn't realize we had a beach in Coburg. They're like, yeah, we just didn't want to go to it. I'm like, what is wrong with you? It is like a very, very nice beach. But I grew up on the east side of Toronto. I now live on the west side of Toronto. East side of Toronto is way better. Uh, and I, I thought it would get a little bit more. Yeah, way better. I don't know what they're doing on the west, but it is nothing in comparison to what's happening on the east. I will be a, always an eastern Toronto kind of guy. But uh, I now live on the west, and I'm just over there because there's more evil over on the west side of Toronto. And so I got to go to where the, where God's called me. And uh, I grew up in Tr- in Coburg in a in a Christian home. Had a very good upbringing, um, but but one thing I realized when I went off to university and I started learning stuff about the Bible is that I didn't really know a whole lot about the Bible at all. I mean, somebody was like one of the professors like asked our class like, "So who can tell me what redemption means?" And I'm like, "Oh shoot." Like, I grew up in the church, I should know this answer, and everybody's kind of looking at him, he's like, anybody tell me the answer, and everybody's scared, you don't want to get it wrong on the first day of class, right, and he started to unpack this, and I began to realize that not only did I not have a very good understanding of what redemption meant, or some of these words that we, use, we have used in church all along, but there are people that were coming into our churches that had no clue, no basis, didn't even know the, what the story of Jonah is, Doesn't, don't even know the story of Jesus, and we're preaching messages and preaching way over their heads, and they're going like, I don't even understand the vocabulary, what you're using. And that's why churches like Serve City and Slate Church are so important, because we need to cut through the clutter and start to preach a gospel that actually makes some coherent sense to the people that walk in. And so I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I, what's a gospel? That put somebody on the spot this morning. Could you tell me what a... No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's like, pass the mic around. We're going to just ask everybody what a gospel is. And most of us have understood a gospel to be the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came and paid a price for our sins that we could not pay for ourselves. And that would be an accurate translation. But do you know that gospel is actually a genre of literature? So you have things like apocalyptic literature a lot of us like to spend all of our time there telling everybody when the world's going to end. And Jesus is like, I called you to do stuff before the world's going to end, so don't focus so much on the end of the world when there's still work to do before the end of the world. And then uh, and then there's this saying called gospel. And I'm going to go into all the genres, but there's a, a, a genre called gospel literature. And gospel is essentially a combination. This has nothing to do with the Bible, by, by the way. Gospel was something that was recorded during that day, even for people that weren't Jesus himself. And there's a collection of stories and happenings and teachings and and things that actually went on during that day that they would compile almost like a biography to tell the story of somebody who walked the earth well the gospel that we focus on the stories teachings and happenings that we're going to focus on this morning are jesus jesus stories his gospel and there's four different accounts in the book of the bible matthew mark luke and john they all record a different aspect of jesus narrative while he walked this earth matthew he was so concerned that people would understand that the people that the jews were looking forward to the messiah the one that would come and save the world that this is who they were waiting for that's what matthew is so concerned about luke he's a doctor And so like doctors do, they make very intentional recordings and they uh, really pack together a a clear example and a clear lineage and and probably a little bit more historical than the other accounts about what Jesus did while he walked this earth. Well, Mark, you get to Mark and Mark just wants to tell you exactly what happened. Jesus did this, 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 this. He's very to the point and he just gets through it. Then we get to John, the Gospel of John. Where we read out of this morning, and John is interesting, I think the most modern parallel that I've been able to pull out from the book of John is that John is, is essentially the mo- is the ancient Near East version of Sports Center, okay? He's like the, the Ancient Near East version of SportsNet. Anybody watch SportsNet? Uh, every morning you wake up, turn that on Sports Center? Do we have a battle between Sportsnet and Sports Center here? Uh, ESPN from the states, and we don't care. Uh <laughs> I'm kidding, Andrew. I love you. Um All the Sportsnet people are like, yeah, it's because it comes with basic cable. That's why I watch Sportsnet. That's me anyway, I can only afford basic cable. And uh and it's the ancient Near East version of Sportsnet. And what, the reason I say this is because John is essentially saying, like, listen, if I'm going to share anything about Jesus' life, I'm going to share the highlights of what Jesus did while he walked this earth. He doesn't care about the little miracles. And when we say little miracles, it's like, uh, it's like, what do you mean, little miracle? Like, what, what classifies as a little miracle? Well, he doesn't want to include things like healing people of leprosy. And you're like, what? It's because John only cares about the big things. He's like, oh, yeah, one day we were walking along. There was two blind people from birth, and Jesus said, have sight, and they got sight. He's like, that's what I want to talk about. And so in John's gospel, he records seven statements of Jesus that are I am statements, statements that really, out of context, make no sense. Like, I am the bread of life. And it's like, what is Jesus on? Like, what is with this God? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. You are the branches. These seven I am statements are to direct us to who Jesus is. And then he records seven miracles. They're called the awesome miracles, not just the little miracles, the awesome miracles that Jesus does. And where we find ourselves this morning follows all of that. And that's important because I'm going to get back to why that's important, okay? And all of this happens, and Jesus is at the end of his life, after the seven I am statements, after the seven miracles, and he's sitting there having a nice dinner with his disciples, and he tells them, hey, listen, guys, I'm now going to die. It's like the worst ending of Sportsnet ever. It's like, here's all these highlights, oh, yeah, and then everybody died. It's like, what What was the purpose of showing all this if sports is over? John shares everything that Jesus did and then goes, oh, by the way, the end of the story is that he dies. Now, it doesn't end there. But this is where the close begins to come. And, and, and he comes out and Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, I really need you to listen to the last things that I'm going to say before I depart from this earth. Because they are going to be some of the most important things you need to hear. And so he starts to say, I'm going to die. And then he says this statement to his disciples, but do not let your hearts be troubled. Come on. All right. Now, I don't know about you, but this, this actually is somewhat encouraging to me. Because so many times I come to church, I hear a great message, but the, 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 the contrast between the way I came to church and the way I'm going to go back to my life after the good things that I heard I need to hear that statement when I come to church and when I leave church do not let your hearts be troubled you might be going back to the same thing but do not let your hearts be troubled because if we can get what God is trying to speak into our hearts it might just transform the way that we go back to the lives that we live after we go out to this place Who knows that what happens within these four walls is not meant to stay here. It's meant to go out of this place. And as long as we decide or do not decide in our hearts to leave it in this place. That is the end of the church in Canada. It is the end of the church in Scarborough. It's the end of the church in North America. The moment we don't decide that the message we hear here in this place does not belong outside of these four walls, that is the end of the church. Not when Jesus dies. Not when we believe that he's died in our country. Not when, when one of the heroes of our faith, dies like Billy Graham, not when that happens, but when we collectively decide that Jesus just belongs within the four walls is going to be our, the end of our church. Okay. So, so Jesus sits his disciples down and says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he goes into speaking a little bit about some of these interesting uh, statements and the one that we're pulling out today and that we're going to land on for our the, the entire time we have left today. It looks like two hours and 20 minutes. That's 22 minutes, okay. Um, we're, gonna, we're going to land on this one statement that Jesus says. Very, very truly I say unto you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I have done, even greater things than these even greater things than these you know i was on a on a plane in january we went down to fort lauderdale and i've never been so cold in my life in fort lauderdale i mean it was like negative 30 here we get to fort lauderdale i had brought t-shirts cuz i'm like i'm in florida like this is a this is good and it happened to be like 10 degrees And so I just like froze the entire time and I was too cheap to buy a sweater. So I just like, oh, I'm so cold here. And everybody's like, what do you mean? You're from Canada. And I'm like, I know, I've never been so cold in my life. But on the way down, I was with uh, one of the, the, we pastor, we co-pastor with um, uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, Luke and Victoria. And I was going down with Luke. And uh, on the airplane, they always do this, this safety check, right? And I turned to him and I was like, does anybody ever pay attention to the safety check that, you know, that's happening right now? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, clearly you don't. And uh, and uh, be- the reason why I usually don't pay attention to the safety check is uh, the, the safety instructions is generally because I'm still trying to figure out every time I get on the plane, this happens, this runs through my mind, I go, why in the world if i don't turn my cell phone to airplane mode will this totally screw up this plane and we'll go down and i'm like if the plane is that fragile we're all kind of screwed right and 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 then and then i start thinking through and i go wait a second we're going down. There's at least one person that hasn't put their, their their phone on airplane mode here. And then I start going, why am I not paying attention to the safety instructions that are happening? If this plane's going down, I need to listen. And by that time, it's all over, and I'm just worked up. And, and, I, and, I, and I said to Luke, I'm like, man, like, what, we need to listen to this just in case the plane goes down. He's like, what just happened? Like, Calm down. And, uh, and I was analyzing this interesting thing that happens where they, they, they do the safety instruction and everybody's like, oh, I heard it before. And yet if you were to quiz somebody on what, what you're supposed to do, everybody would be like, I don't know. Like, and I was like, why do we do this? And I began to realize that that we share the same message over and over again on airplanes all over the world for that one in a million times where you actually need to hear it so you might actually be safe and save some other people alongside you. There are people in this room that have heard this message, the following what you're going to hear a million times, but maybe this is the one in a million where you need to actually go, you know what, it's time for me to save myself and get other people off this plane and so that we might actually be able to improve pack somebody in this world we live in so maybe we could have that verse up on the screen for the rest of our time together but i read something that says very truly i say to you whoever believes whoever believes i wonder if you're a whoever in this place today are you a whoever there is no qualifying statement that says whoever except for you whoever except people that work in the government Whoever, except for people that work in education. Whoever, except for, there is no qualification, qualifying statements in this passage. In fact, in philosophy, we talk about logic, okay? And in logic, there are two different statements that you can make. You can make a universal statement, or you can make a particular statement. A universal statement would say, all people who believe in me. A particular statement would go, some people who believe in me. Jesus in this moment is making a a, a universal statement that says, all people who believe in me will also do the same works as me. You know, I referee uh, uh, hockey. I don't know if anybody plays hockey in here. I referee hockey. And uh, this is an interesting thing that I do because... I, I basically do it to remind myself that the world is in need of Jesus, because hockey parents are absolutely insane, and they should just be thrown in jail as soon as you sign up your kid for hockey. Um, and so every once in a while, basically every other game, I get, and my brother referees too, so you get this all the time too, you get a coach, they call you off to the side, and they're like, hey, come over here, and I'm like, what is it now? You know, like, like I don't need to hear this. I'm actually, I, I love reffing, so I'm not usually like that, but for the sake of 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 the illustration, okay, yeah, what do you want, coach, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and, and they'll, they'll be like, listen, I know it's not a big deal, but um, the kids, you know, the score on the ice is, is 2-1, but on the scoreboard, it says 1-1, I'm like, so, (laughs) like, they'll eventually put it up, yeah, but, you know, the kids want to, they want to know that it's the correct score up there, and I skate over to the penalty box, I'm like, hey, could you just put up a point so this coach will leave me alone, you know, and, and, and I tell them to put up the points, and, and it's funny, because as children, we're so consumed with the score. We're so consumed with the points. We're so consumed with what 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 you know who's winning and, and who's losing. And it's funny because we might lose the care for that in certain aspects as we grow older. but we still keep the point system in our lives, don't we? When it comes to the Bible, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to God and how we feel in relation to God, it's often about who's winning in the scoreboard, about how I feel God looks at me. And so if I believe that, I'm putting up more scores on the on the scoreboard, all of a sudden, I believe that God could do anything through my life. And if I believe that I, I, the enemy's been putting more scores up on the scoreboard, I believe that I've got to do some repenting and some fasting and some good works so that God might listen to me so that I might do some of the same works that he does. I might slam the door on my wife and then all of a sudden think, well, God can't use me today. I might yell at my kids on the way to church and all of a sudden I think, well, that, that's one more day that God can't use me today. And we've been putting scores up on the wrong side of the scoreboard for way too many years as a church. In fact, I would say that we have been doing the wrong thing in just keeping score. Because when Jesus talks about scores, he says, listen, let's just wipe away the scoreboard. You're going to lose in the end anyway. What I want to tell you is that this is not about a scoreboard. This is about who's going to win the championship. And if you just read my word from the front to the back, if you read the end, we already win the championship in this place. And that's the place that we need to live from. And so as we begin to understand that God has already won the battle, we get to put ourselves in this statement and say, well, I am not somebody who is lost. I'm not somebody who can say that I don't believe in God. If I am a whosoever believes in God, I can do the same works as Jesus. But here's the problem, church, is that we have so many people that say, I believe in God. And there is nothing that can come in this statement, and yet I still don't see the same works as Jesus happening out on the streets as soon as we leave our churches. I go, where, are, where in the world, are? why are we expecting the world to operate in a way that we in a, as a church can't do ourselves? Look, like sometimes we look at our world and say, our world is getting so bad. And I just go, when when, when in the Bible did we read that the world is accountable for making this world a better place and somehow the church needs to follow and tell? I read in my Bible that change starts with the church, change starts with disciples of Jesus, change starts with me, and I'm not waiting, as John Mayer said, waiting on the world to change. I'm waiting, and I'm ready to actually make some change in the world so that I might be able to see what I want to see and not complain about what I don't see. Listen, the world left up to itself is going to end up the way the world is left up to itself is going to end up. It's the church's job to step in and say, you know what? I'm not going to allow the the, the world to go to hell in the way that I see it going to hell. I'm not going to allow the world to get worse and worse and worse so that there's nothing available for my children. I'm going to leave a legacy that starts with loving and doing the same works as Jesus so we might actually see some change happen in our country. Don't expect somehow for the church to get excited about what's happening in the church. You know, I said this to somebody the other day. They said, well, you know, why is, what's with Slate Church? Like, why is it growing? And I said, well, listen, it's not because we have cool music. It's not because we have a cool LED wall that our our worship band worships in front of. This is how our worship band worships. You guys don't, but ours does. (laughs) Jesus, uh, light of heaven, lover of the Lord. That's the best I can do singing. That's it. It's not because of that. It's not because we have good marketing, which we do. It's not because we put out cool stuff on Facebook and Twitter. And Does anybody use Twitter? I think we put it out on Twitter. But I'm pretty sure Twitter's almost dead. Instagram and all the rest. And It's not because of any of that. Because here's the thing. A world that doesn't care about the church doesn't care about what the church is doing. It just doesn't. Like, the, we can do all the good things that we can do so that once they're here, they can go, wow, I didn't realize church could be this way. But if we expect on our marketing that somehow that's going to bring people into our churches, here's just a tidbit. The world doesn't care. It doesn't care that we're doing a series right now at Slate Church on love. It doesn't care. They know what love means to them, and they don't care what the church has to say about it. That's the honest truth. Let's just get that straight. The world does not care about our marketing schemes. But what they do care is about a neighbor who will love them past the limit that anybody else has ever loved them. And once they begin to realize, oh my my goodness, oh my God, somebody loves me at a rate that nobody else has loved me. Guess what? Then you've opened an avenue. Then you've opened a door. Then you've shoved your foot into a closing door. And you now have the right to say, you know why I'm like this? Because I was first loved by a loving God. And all of a sudden, it starts to make sense to people. so listen share on facebook we need to do that share on instagram you need to do that be a part of what's happening here at surf city but do not wait for somebody other than yourself to do the same works as jesus he's been calling us to do it you know what so many of us look at this and we say whosoever believes and in another one it says anyone who believes in the nlt it says anyone who believes and we start to do this weird thing as a church and we start submitting important people's names into this we say any politician who believes any professor who believes any pastor who believes any leader who believes anybody who serves on the host team at sir city who believes the same works will come jesus is saying anyone And the most difficult thing for me to see as a pastor is that often I look out on a crowd that is waiting for the pastor to somehow change their city and forgetting that the pastor is only two people. The pastor is only a human that that exists within the same world they, they exist in. They only have so much capacity. They only have so much they can do. And somehow we're waiting on people with authority to do what people of authority can't actually do. Everybody needs to take up their arms and say, you know what, I'm responsible for my neighborhood. I'm responsible for my neighborhood. I'm responsible for my family. I'm responsible for my friends. And when I get to heaven, I don't need to, I'm not going to, the answer you're not going to give is, well, you know what, Andrew and Chantel, they didn't do a good job. No, 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 no. Jesus has not called us to rely on our pastors to do the evangelism. What I read about in the Bible is that Jesus came to make a, priesthood of all believers (laughs) he wants you all to be pastors he wants you all to be evangelists he wants you all to serve he wants you all to be a part of his renewing work in Jesus listen let's not blame our church for what's not happening in our neighborhood your church is in your neighborhood because you are in your neighborhood and that's the change that's going to come I hate it when people say, but Brandon, if you were just a part of a conversation that I had with my friend, they would come to Jesus. No, they wouldn't. I don't have any relationship with them. I don't have any better answers for their questions than you do. I don't know their their unique history the way that you know it. I don't know their family situation the way that you do. I can't cut to the, the heart of it the way that you can. Nobody is going to save your friends but you. Now... Now now I know what every Christian has grown up in the church for longer than two years' excuses. Well, we don't save anybody. God saves everybody. Yeah. Sorry. But what did Jesus say? I'm the head of the body, but you are going to be my hands and feet. And the head can't get to people if the hands and feet aren't willing to walk there, aren't willing to serve there, aren't willing to speak there, aren't willing to share there. Listen, we have the greatest opportunity that we have ever had to share the love of God with the people that exist in our own spheres of influence. Let's not miss the the, the influence that we currently have and what God wants to do in our friends, our neighbors, our families, because God is going to do something new. You know, I hear it all the time. The Canada is a post-Christian society. The first question I ask is, when was it ever Christian? Because it seems like we took over this country in a pretty bad way. That, that's the first thing we need to understand, is that we actually first took this country in a way that we probably shouldn't have. Is that what Christian means? Because if that's what Christian, we've got a lot of work to do. If we want to label that Christian, we've got a lot of work to do in correcting what people think Christianity is all about. Listen... Listen, that was not Christian values. That was not Christian principles. So was it a Christian? I don't know. Maybe. I hope not. But this is not a post-Christian society. I see a society that is a pre-Christian society, one that God is starting to stir up the waters, one that he's actually starting to stir up his church, one that he's starting to stir up the disciples and saying, you know what? The church is just coming alive now. The church's best days are ahead. My church will succeed in Canada. This is not a pre-Christian society, or this is not a post-Christian society. This is not, a, not a, a, a backslidden society. This is a pre-Christian society. And if we start listening to what God is doing in our hearts, guess what? We're going to see our best days ahead. We're going to see the best things coming. I believe that God has so much more in store for his church. Now, I have all these different notes, and I'm not even sure what I'm going to get to because, because truthfully, you know, when I look out on Surf City, I see hope. Um, you guys just celebrated one year. Congratulations, by the way. You guys should be very, very happy. You know, 100 people coming to God in 52 weeks is about two people a week. That's something to celebrate. And uh, my voice is almost gone, so maybe I'll just talk to you like family for the last little bit. Slate Church grew out of a. Slate Church grew out of a a, um, a student church that we shut down. We were on the on the rise. We were growing. Uh, if I told you the numbers at the time, you'd be like, why did you shut that down? It, just kept, it was taking off like wildfire. And we looked out in our city, and we realized, wait a sec. We're not contributing what's happening here. We're taking away. There's a lot of young adults that were coming from different churches, and we were emptying the young adults groups in our, in our city. So we made the conscious decision. We said, you know what? We're going to send them all back, and then we're going to start an intergenerational church that doesn't compete but complements what's happening in this, in this. And so I got up there one week, and I said, listen, if you attend two different churches, this is your last week here. And overnight, we lost over 100 people just like that. And we were left with a few people. And my leadership team's going like, what are you, what's happening? Like, what, why did you do that? Like, what's, what's going on? And, and I said, well, listen, I have a conviction that if we build off of the wrong foundation, we're not going to get to the final destination that God actually wants us to be at. But if we start with a solid foundation, there's nothing that can stop us from getting to where God's going to take us. And so we started this student ministry, and there was 30 people. It was incredible. Uh, 30 people. We were such great leaders, my wife and I, that we grew it down to 10 people. And uh, with 10 people around, we're like, God, like, what happened? Like, we already killed the church, and uh, we've been here for a month. And uh, God said, well, between you, Emma, and 10 people, that's 12. That's all I had. What are you going to do with it? And over the first year, we averaged probably about 50 people. The second year, we averaged about 100 people. The third year, we were averaging about just over 200, 225. That's when we shut it down. Then we went and we took the people that were left over, 80 people that said, listen, we came to faith here. We first got introduced to Jesus here. Where are we going to go? And we said, okay, you guys are the people that we're going to launch Slight Church with. And so we took those 80 people, and over the course of a year, we started saying, like, this is what our church is going to be. This is, you guys, some of you are on the launch team of Sur City. You know what this process is all about. And we said, listen, if we just get this right, we're actually going to, God's going to do something great. And so we took those 80 people. Our launch Sunday this past September was 606 people. We, we quickly went down to 400. But then we started averaging it. We had to add a third service just a, a three, four weeks ago. Where we now have three services and there's about five hundred on average that attend Slate Church. Now listen, I didn't come here to I didn't come here to impress you because the truth is is that I know what it what it took to actually build that. And the truth is is that I'm a little hesitant sharing numbers at any time because I know the church in Canada, the average is about fifty to seventy five people. Slate, or Surf City is already bigger than the average church size in Canada. That's impressive. But what I do, do want to say to Serve City this morning is listen, if you think that God is done with you or just filling one theater is all that God's, God's about, God is about every single person in Scarborough. God is about every single person in Toronto. Yeah. Listen, I don't know if there is 10 people, 12 people or 100 people in this place right now that are getting the message that I'm trying to speak from God's word. But I'm convinced that if just 12 people which we actually learned was 11 people because Judas <laughs> tied Jesus up, gave him away. If 11 people can get this message this morning where we're not waiting on Jesus to move, we're not waiting on our pastors to move, we're not waiting on somebody who's involved that serve city to move, we're not waiting on any of that. I am responsible for the same works as Jesus. If 11 people in this place will get it, if 11 people, if 22 people could get it, guess what's gonna happen? Revival. So here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. Sometimes in church, we look around and we try to find the lowest common denominator of what's happening in the church. Well, that person, they look like they're on leadership and they're not doing so much. I'll shoot for that. When did we decide that we would give God our leftovers? And every sports team, every dance recital, every music lesson, our best. And somehow God got our leftovers. And we're only going to give him what we haven't given to the rest of the world. When did that seep into our church? When did we look for the lowest common denominator in our churches and say, that's what I'm shooting for? You know what God is saying? You know what Jesus is saying to his disciples? He's saying, listen, you're not shooting for the lowest common denominator. You're shooting for what I did and even greater things than what I did. And if only 11 people in this place can say, you know what? it's time for me to wake up because there is a world that Jesus wants to inhabit. There is a world that Jesus needs to save. There is a world that God wants to, what God wants me to move in and if we can understand, 11 of us that that is what God's calling us to and we're going into work tomorrow and we're going, you know what, no longer am I the lowest person here but I walk with the Holy Spirit inside of me. I've got Holy Spirit swagger. I've got the, the Spirit. I've got the kingdom. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. He's on my side and i'll walk into every area i find myself like somehow god wants me to defeat the devil in that space if that's what i can get into my heart guess what's going to happen in serve city way greater things than have happened in Slate church way greater things than we've seen in canada up until this point i believe that if we just start to be the church the church will succeed in canada but let's not make an excuse for ourselves when we come to church on sundays and we go beautiful message I'm just going to go back and complain about all the things that are happening in my life that shouldn't happen. Great day in church, but I wish that somebody would have smiled at me more. Great day in church, but I I wish that somebody would just come and maybe the pastors would finally get a meeting with me so that I could actually reach my friends. What if we stopped all of the excuses that we had and say, you know what, there is no clarifiers on what God said. There is no clarification he tries to add to this verse. God is asking us in this place, are you or aren't you a believer in me? And if you are, are you willing to do the same works and even greater works than these? Listen, I... I, I, (laughs) I try to think about why God's using us in Waterloo. The truth is, is I'm not the most gifted communicator. My brother-in-law who moved to help, help us launch Slate Church when we shut down the student church, he's probably a more gifted communicator than me. I've looked at my leadership team, and there's been seasons where we've grown the church smaller than we've grown it larger. I don't know why God would use me other than the fact that I just every day wake up and say, God, I'm here, I'm open, I'm available. Anybody you want to reach through me today, I'm there to do it. That's what I say every single day. Listen, guys, the best days are ahead for Surf City. I mean it. The best days are ahead for Surf City. These two have literally given up their lives, given up their lives to serve this church. You don't think it's cost them something? I wish that people could be in the kitchen when the kids are in bed as they talk about finances sometimes. To see the costs that they've counted so that they might reach you guys, so that you might reach the world that you came from. I wish that you could be a part of the conversations where they're going, we love this person so much, but why are they standing in direct opposition of what God's trying to do through our church? I wish you could see the heartbreak when somebody passes away in your family and the way that they feel it as parents, mothers, and fathers of this house. I wish you could be in the living room when they're praying their guts out that God would reach Scarborough. I wish you could be there. What I'm starting to be convinced of is that rather than wish that you're in the rooms that they're in while they're battling it out with God, I, my prayer is that you're finding similar rooms where you're counting the cost and you're asking, man, finances are so tight and, and they're tight because I didn't take the overtime. I, I, I chose to it, give it to God. When you're talking to finances and you're going, it's tight, but it's because we made that large donation to move the church forward. Where you're sitting in a room and you're going, gosh, why why is somebody standing in opposition? I just love them so much. The truth is, is we need more people with the pastor's heart for this society. And that is the only way that we're going to reach this society for Jesus. You guys are set up so well. You guys are set up so well to reach Scarborough. You've done everything right up until this point. But my challenge all the way from Waterloo today is are you willing to count yourself within the whosoever? Are you willing to count yourself within the whosoever and start asking the hard questions? Well, why aren't the same works happening? Maybe they are. Team up with somebody if they are. Am I willing to see even greater things happen through my life? Am I willing to actually put myself in the pages of scripture and not just my church and not just my pastors. Here's the thing guys. As we start taking on our personal responsibility, we're going to see revival spread across this nation. We're doing it over in Waterloo. You're doing it in Scarborough. Guess what? We're going to meet halfway and we're going to save this city for the name of Jesus. Thank you very much.